Good morning. My name is Josh. I have the joy and uh, privilege to serve you guys as one of the elders at this church. My family and I have been coming here, uh, I think, about eight-ish years. Um, fun to see what God is doing. Fun to see to be part of that. Um, I also have the joy of being able to get to spend a few minutes with you this morning opening up God's Word together, and then I get to introduce you to some of my friends. Um, so we have two daughters. When the youngest was probably about five, we took a family trip on the train to Chicago. Has anyone ever done train Chicago trip? Yeah, super fun trip. Also a little tiny bit scary, but really fun trip. And uh, it was in the fall time, and so we took them to Chicago, and we went to like the museums, and um, took in all the sights and the smells of Chicago, uh, and the sounds like, you know, sirens all night long, and um, took him to this uh, Wildberry Pancake House, makes these amazing, like, bigger-than-your-face pumpkin pancakes in the fall. <laughs> Those were super good. Um, and so one particular moment I remember is we took them to um, something called the Cloud Gate at Millennium Park, but everybody calls it the bean because it looks like a giant silvery bean. Um, there are people everywhere because it's a beautiful fall day. And so my daughter, Quinn, were walking toward you know, the attraction, the thing we came to see, the bean, and my daughter Quinn is holding, holding my hand, but then she's got her other hand, she's holding me with that hand too, and then she's pulling me like closer, you know? So she's a little bit nervous because of all the chaos and all the people. So she knows that I'm not the thing she came to see, but I'm gonna take her to the thing she came to see, and she's trusting me to lead her there. It's similar if you have children who've gone on... Um, Field trips, right? Seems like when your class, your kid's class goes on the field trip, or maybe you've gone with the grandkids or nieces and nephews, like seven other schools also go on the field trip to the same place in the same day. And because all eight-year-olds look alike, you're lost in this sea of children. You don't know which way to go. And so someone is always wearing that, like, obnoxious lime green shirt, you know, so that you know, there they are. I'm a post-family farm. There's the person leading me towards the donuts like follow the lime green shirt, or sometimes they have the backpack with the big like orange um, flag on it, so I follow the person with the funny flag backpack. In a crowd of people, I need someone to follow so that they can take me to where I want to go. The same is true in our Christian life. We just sang, thank you for the blood. I encourage you to go back home today and listen to that song again. It is the gospel. When I hear that part of that song about the chasm and across the chasm, Jesus locks eyes with me, man, it gets me every single time. We know what the gospel is. We've read it. The gospel is this, that we're created in the image of God. We're supposed to be a mirror that reflects the glory of an almighty God, except the problem is, is that the mirror is broken. My sin in my life has cracked the mirror. So now I'm a cracked mirror and I can't be made whole again except if God fixes me. The Bible tells us that that sin, the penalty for it is death. But God in his goodness came in human form. God made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity came. He lived the perfect God-reflecting mirror life we're supposed to live. He died the death on the cross that I was supposed to die. It is my sin that put him there. He died that death for me so that I could have life, so that the crackness, the brokenness in my life could be made whole again. And that the Bible says that if you believe that in your heart and your mind, you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved, that we will have eternal life. And John tells us eternal life is this, that we will know Jesus 
and God. And that word know is the same way a husband knows his wife. It's intimate. If you think about that for a minute, it will blow your mind. That we can know God the same way we know our wife. Wives, the same way that you know your husband. That's the gospel. The challenge for us in the world is that there's a lot of people that don't believe that. And there's a whole host of other ideas out there. And so in this sea of ideas, in this sea of chaos, we too need someone who's going to say, follow me. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to take you to Jesus. We don't follow that person because of who they are. We follow them because of whom they're going to take us to see. And so today, we're going to examine real briefly what the Bible has to say about this idea of imitating followers of Jesus. So if you've got something to write with, grab it. We're not going to put anything on the screen. I'm going to point you to a couple of places in Scripture where we see this. Ephesians 5, Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. So there's one place where we can go for an, ex an example of imitating, following. Hebrews chapter 11, we spent time in Hebrews in this church. Hebrews chapter 11 is all these heroes of the faith, right? By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. Those people aren't God. They're not Jesus. They're not the Messiah. They are people who, because of their faith, we should imitate them and have the same type of faith. Paul, the Apostle Paul, this guy's story is crazy. Apostle Paul, remember, was a leader of all the, of the Jews. He was a high-ranking Jewish official. When the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death, and if you don't know what that is, let me describe it for you. They would literally pick up rocks and throw them at Stephen until Stephen died. When that happened, and they took their coats off to throw rocks, Paul said, here, don't get your coats dirty. I'll hold your coats. Right on. That was Paul. He was a persecutor of Christians, and he's traveling one day. God blinds him, and he meets in a vision Jesus face to face. And Jesus says, it's I, Jesus, whom you persecute. Whoa. He comes face to face. Totally is, life is totally transformed. And Jesus sends him to preach the good news of who Jesus is to everybody who's not Jewish. That is radical transformation. Despite his brokenness, despite the fact that his mirror was cracked, Jesus died for his sin too and used him in a powerful way. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, in the chaos, follow me because I'm going to lead you to Jesus. And in Philippians 3, he does it again. At the end of Philippians 3, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So the Bible is riddled with examples of God and his goodness saying, I know you live in a sea of chaos. I'm going to give you people that you can follow as they lead you to me. So today, we have a great opportunity to hear from some leaders within the church. And they're going to be able to share part of their story of transformation with you. I want to encourage you that these are leaders worth following, not because of who they are, but because of who it is that they're going to lead you to. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to spend time with brothers and sisters today. 
I thank you that you are God in your infinite goodness and your infinite wisdom. Yes, you created us, and we're so incredibly grateful for that. But God, when we messed it up, when we broke the image you made us in, you came down yourself to rescue and redeem us. May you get all glory and all honor from our conversation today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Amen. They came out right on cue. Nice job. Um, these are my friends, a few of my friends. We're going to just spend some time talking about some of those things, some of their stories. I want to give them the chance to introduce themselves, so we'll start there on the end. Jane, you want to go first? Sure. My name is Jane Graham. I'm married to Brandon. We've been married for 22 years, but we have known each other since the fifth grade. Yes. So we nice. go way back. We have a lot of stories. <laughs> we have three kids, and I stayed home with them for a number of years, and now I am working full-time as a corporate communicator in a local company. Awesome. My name is Brandon Graham, and as you can see, I shot way over my head uh, 22 <laughs> years ago. True story, everybody that knows me. Uh, but I have the privilege of serving on the elder board here uh, at church, and that's been a great honor. Awesome. My name is Luke Van Kloppenberg. Uh, I also serve on the elder board uh, right now with Brandon and Josh. Um, I've been married to my wife, she's here in the second row, uh, for 23 years, um, most of them very good. And we have five children, our three oldest are biological children, our two youngest have been adopted. Um, and I work um, during the week, normal, whatever. <laughs> my regular job is that I work as an emergency physician at Holland Hospital. Awesome. And my name is Eric. I am uh, the college and young adult director here at Chapel Point. Whoop, whoop, if you will. Um, my, uh, my wife and two boys and I moved here just three months ago. I am not Luke Bilberry. Um, used to get that out of the way. You know, it is kind of crazy, though, that we found this doppelganger. I've heard everybody it's has weird. one, and we actually found it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we love it here. Amen. What you got for us? It's awesome. We're glad you're here. Um, let's start with this question. So uh, the Bible is obviously full of powerful words from, from God, right? Uh, all true, God-breathed, God God-inspired. Different passages mean different things to us, right? We hold some dear to us. So I'm going to start with you, Jane. Why don't you tell us uh, a scripture that has had a significant impact on your intimacy, your relationship with the Lord? Great question and hard to choose. When I saw this question, I kind of approached it through the lens of how has, how has God revealed his character to me? Mm. So, in, you know, instead of picking one verse, which is so difficult, mm. I started thinking about the ways that God tells us who he is. And my mind went right away to Genesis 16, where Hagar has just found out she's pregnant from Abram, the chapter before he becomes Abraham. And because Sarai um, kicked her out, essentially, she's in the desert wandering. And God, or the, the angel of the Lord, who we understand to be the pre-incarnate Christ, appears to her and says, where are you going? And they have a conversation, and she says, you are the God who sees me. Mm. And I just love that. And then in Acts 9, there's another verse that kind of, drives this home in terms of a God who really sees us and wants to have a relationship with us. And that's after Paul meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. So he's in a home and um, 
God appears to a disciple named Ananias and says, go to Straight Street, go to the house of Judas, and in there you will find a man named Paul. And, and he gives them these directions to go and restore Paul's sight. What I love about that, too, is like, holy smokes, God is giving, like, geographic directions. Mm -hmm. Go down this road, turn here, you're going to find this house. And it just reminds me again that he's, he's in the details and he wants to be in relationship with us. He's a God who sees us. Mm -hmm. He's a God who cares about details. And I think that's such a beautiful differentiator between our faith mm -hmm. and what a lot of other people experience. Mm -hmm. That our God is not a faraway God who's detached, who's reduced to ritual. He's a God who really wants to know us and be in relationship with us. That's awesome. Love it, Jane. Brandon, how about you? I would say for me, Romans 12, 1 and 2 um, resonate. And as I listen to the songs today, again, it, it just continues to resonate with me. Um, through God's mercy, we're called to be a living sacrifice. Um, and when I sit in that, and I think Christ died for me, he died for you. How are we being a living sacrifice for our Lord? Um, and I think that that's something that we're, we're challenged to do. I'm challenged to do is how am I giving of my time, my talents, my resources? And the verse goes on to say, do not conform to this world. Instead, be in the word, finding God's will for you. Be transformed. Yeah by the word of Christ. And I, and I think that there's no greater way to understand what God's will is for us than being in the word and being in prayer. And you may have heard the quote, plan your work and work your plan. I really transcribe that as plan your work and work his plan. And the way that you do that is, is being in the word. That's really good, po powerful verse. How about you, Luke? Uh, so <clears throat> I like the question of uh, how, how you phrased about intimacy mm -hmm. and um, waiting to come out here. I heard you reference intimacy um, and what you were talking about and the intimacy that God desires to have with us and how it, um, we have the earthly model of intimacy between mm -hmm. the husband and his wife, mm -hmm. which when things are good is a pretty incredible picture. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, intimacy with Christ with God was something I did not have for most of my life. Mm. I was raised in the church. Um, my parents were missionaries. We lived a few years overseas. And um, it's interesting because I never really went through a phase of overt rebellion. Mm. Okay. I didn't do the, I never got into a lot of trouble. I had some mischief. I knew I was a sinner. And if somebody asked me, uh, are you a Christian? I'd say, yeah, my mom was pulling me in a wagon outside New Tribes Bible Institute in Jackson when I was four. She was telling me about Jesus, asked me if I wanted to be saved. I said, yeah. And ever since then, mm. I said I was a Christian, and I tried to live like one. And for the most part, I pulled it off. Um, you know, I graduated college never having drunk, never touched alcohol, didn't smoke, didn't use drugs. For the most part, treated women with respect. Um, and so I just, I remember always, I'd hear other people with testimonies of what God had done for them, how God had forgiven their great sin and how they'd had this change in their life. And I didn't, I was sort of jealous because I didn't have anything like that because I didn't have the much sin that needed to be forgiven. 
So I was always jealous, like, I wonder what it would be like now as an adult if I could have been unsaved this whole time to have God suddenly actually save me and experience the power and the change that the Bible promises to believers. But I thought I couldn't experience it because I've been saved so little and I never really sinned that much. Well, um, through the prayer of my wife, through spending time in scripture, through reading um, some incredible books, um, I, I, I sort of was shaken out of this spiritual doldrum and realized you know, I had, I had stopped reading the Bible, not because I despised it, but because I thought I knew it all. And I thought I was already doing it pretty well. I had some repetitive sin. I wish I didn't, but I was working on it. I figured I'd get there. You know, through discipline, hard work, most things in my life had gone well that way. You know, school, sports, whatever. You work hard. You accomplish whatever. But um, I guess the original question was which scripture and. So I encountered Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 through 11. And most of that passage is like uh, Paul exalting Christ for his incredible example of emptying himself, leaving heaven, and coming to earth, and living as a human, not even as a high human, but as a slave, and submitting even to a lowly death, the worst death possible at the time on a cross. And that's, you know, it's this lofty passage, but the part that grabbed me was verse 3, the first part of verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And what I realized was that my entire life was consumed with, with pride. <laughs> Even the good things I did were mostly for myself. Any kindness I did to my wife, if it wasn't appreciated or seen, I was angry. Why? Because I only did it for that. That was the real motivation. I wanted something for it. It wasn't about being kind. It wasn't about giving the goodness of Christ to somebody else. I mean, we always, um, we, we gave to the church, those kinds of things. Again, there was no like overt, big, flashing sin that other people would point at. But I knew mm -hmm. everything I did was consumed with, with pride. And so this passage um, challenged me to say, hey, Stop doing that. And the Bible's full, front to back, of yeah. warnings about pride and calls to humility. And a lot of them are maybe, I don't know, they're more often quoted verses. But this one stuck out to me. The Holy Spirit stuck it in my head and said, hey, do it. Mm. So I actually started trying to live according to it. Mm. And um, everything changed. Mm. Everything, everything changed in my life. And... I didn't expect it, but I, I encountered the power of God. Mm -hmm. I, I encountered real change in my heart. Not everything I did was changing. Some of the activities on the, on the surface were already fine. And nobody else would have known something had changed. But I knew, and God knew, that the reason I was doing it was different. And it made all the difference in the world. And so when I, talk about, when I think about intimacy with Christ, for me, uh, it's the fact that I recognize now um, what a depraved, wretched, lost sinner I had been my entire life. Not a good person with a few rough edges that need to be cleaned up, a few 
sins I was dabbling in that I shouldn't. But at the core, I was completely corrupt and needed to be born again. Mm-hmm. And now I can say God's done that for me. He's Amen. given me a new heart. Decades of sin. <laughs> decades of sin. Uh, horrible thought patterns. They don't just melt away. At least they didn't for me. Some people describe that. That's not been my experience. I'm still, the flesh is still there. But I just take comfort knowing that Christ has promised. He has promised me. And he will not fail to bring me to completion. Amen. Lo- I love this guy. Thank you for being honest. <clears throat> yeah. Amen. Mr. Palmer. Uh John 16.33 says, in this world you will have tribulation, which I imagine I'm not the outlier. Uh, I think we all can recognize that and have experienced that. But it continues to say you can take heart. These are, these are red letters in your Bibles. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And as a little boy, I believed to the core of who I was that no one could ever understand what it was like to be me to go through what I had gone through. I felt so alone, though maybe as extroverted as any of you have ever met. Um, I love people. I love, I, man, I, I love to be happy. Um, on the outside, everything looked good. Um, but on the inside, I was lonely and afraid and broken. And there's so much freedom in knowing that he's overcome that. Mm. Betrayal, grief, loss, loneliness, all of it. My, my Jesus overcame it, and I get to share in that freedom and that hope, like you said, that hope that does not disappoint us. Uh, to the glory of God, I will, I'll continue to chase that out. So good. Thank you. Um, I want to go, uh, I, actually, I'm going to stick here with you, um, Eric. So tell us about, a, we, have dis- decide, we make decisions all the time, right? Small decisions, big decisions. There are some for all of us that stick out as like, this was a decisive moment in my life yeah. where I had to choose me or God. Yeah. So share one of those moments with us, if you will. Sure. So um, brief context, I lost my, both of my parents when I was in elementary school. My dad to a massive heart attack, my mom to ovarian cancer, and was raised by my dad's parents. They adopted me when I was nine and raised me like, like I was their own. Uh, lost my grandfather at 13 when I was 13. And so it was just me and, me and Mama for those last few years of middle school and high school. And um, uh, December of 2007, I'm a, f- a sophomore at Texas A&M. I get a letter, I call it the breakup letter. Hey, it's not us, it's you. Um, <laughs> didn't, wasn't gonna get to be a student there anymore because mm. of my own arrogance and foolishness. Um, January of 2008, I move home, um, and my grandmother tells me something that I'd never heard her say before. Uh, Baby, I don't feel good, and I'm going to go to the doctor. February of 2008, not even a month later, my grandmother was gone, um, and I was at the fork in the road of choose God. I'd been raised in church. I was, I was what I would describe as a believer in Christ, surrendered to Christ. Um, I come to the fork in the road and it felt like, and I choose that word on purpose, it felt like I had always chosen the right path, the narrow path, if you will, 
Um, but this particular moment, it felt like every time I had chosen the narrow path, I was met with more adversity. Mm. God felt like a bully over the anthill with a magnifying glass burning up all the people that I loved. Again, I felt like no one knew what it was like to be as lonely as I was. And so I chose foolishly, pridefully, arrogantly to try to take things into my own hands. And I spent the next handful of months of my life um, completely outside of my character and who God created me to be. Drugs, alcohol, you name it. It was an active part of my life. And by God's grace, I, um, I'll spare the details, but I, I had a moment one night where I got caught in my, in my ugliness. And I remember driving home and looking at myself in the mirror and it would be like me seeing my friend, well, now my friend Luke, but it would be like seeing someone else looking back at me. Um, and it scared the heck out of me. Um, I woke up the next day swimming in my thoughts, what on earth am I going to do? And my phone rang, and it was a friend from Texas A&M that I had very much um, hurt, betrayed, turned my back on. And uh, everything in me said, don't answer the phone, because he's probably just going to call and tell me how big of a loser I am, and I'm going to be reminded of how little I have, how messed up I am. But for some reason, I answered the phone. I know why I answered the phone. The Holy Spirit of God called me to answer that phone call. And he told me, man, hey, um, miss you. Sorry, I haven't talked to you in a while. Never once brought up my betrayal. Never once brought up my sin against him. But said, hey, man, we've got a, we need some guys at a summer camp this summer. Wonder if you would be interested in coming out. And uh, that decision to answer that phone call changed my life forever. It was at that summer camp that I was truly introduced to the character of God. It was at that summer camp that God surrounded me with people who loved Christ more than they loved me. I'd been surrounded by people that loved me a lot in my life, but I finally saw what it really meant to, to follow Jesus. I ultimately met my wife out there. We got married out there. We got to take our both of our boys there this last awesome. March. Um, God met us, me, in a significant way in that canyon in South Central Texas in my most humble, broken moment. Um, I regret that I chose incorrectly but I am grateful that God found me in my brokenness um, and brought me back into his glorious light, as we just sang. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So good. Um, reminded of the scripture, the message translation of the Beatitudes says, blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope, because then there is less of you and more of God. And that's what I hear in your story. He had to get you to the end of that rope. Jane, I want to come to you. Um, <clears throat> when you think about your pursuit of Jesus, um, living a life where the gospel is center, what is there that is, for you, the greatest thing that pulls you away from gospel-centered life? And then how do you handle it? So I'm going to caveat that question a bit okay. and say... I think I don't feel pulled away as from the gospel as much as I feel challenged in my boldness. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I have a great job in corporate America with very worldly people. Mm. And it's incredibly challenging to be a light when you feel like you're the only light. Um, it's hard to be working in a place and with people who you deeply care for, which I do, who are so blinded and who don't know the truth of Jesus and therefore make decisions that really challenge um, 
our the direction of our company culture and the direction of you know the future of where we're heading and so that's been super hard for me and over the summer I've spent quite a bit of time reading the opening few chapters of Daniel and I've been so encouraged to see how God put Daniel he's in exile he puts him in Babylon he puts him in front of the king and Daniel is able to take a stand on certain things, but he doesn't flee. He doesn't beg for God to pluck him out of that exile, but instead he puts a stake in the ground over some key things, um, whether it's the food he's eating or the way he's worshiping or to whom he's bowing down, he takes a stand. And that's where I'm challenged the most every day is to find opportunities to say the right thing, hopefully, pray for discernment all the time, to be a light in a, such a way that people who work with me can see there's something different, to open the door for opportunities, to have the eyes to see people who maybe need to hear something that I can say to them, Lord willing. Um, and God has been so good to meet me there because in a season where I've felt like I've been in this desert oasis of very, very progressive people, he, all of a sudden, you know, not a coincidence, I was sitting working one day and this guy I, I know who, but I don't spend much time with came up to me and he knows I'm a believer. And he's like, hey, did you know we have some prayer groups around here? I'm like, no kidding. Been sort of praying for this for a long time. Turns out there are three groups, three different groups of um, Christians who are meeting together, who are having lunch together, who are praying regularly together every morning. Every morning we get together and pray for each other and for our company and for our leadership and, of course, broader issues. And I just, I feel like, wow, God, you totally answered my prayer. It's still really hard. But again, and you know, maybe God will call me out of this place someday, but he has so clearly guided me mm. and closed the door to opportunities that I thought were clearly opening and, and now have closed. And in the meantime, has brought me this remnant mm. of other believers, which is amazing. So I think about Daniel I think about Esther, who's put in her position, and God used her mightily for such a time as this. Right. And I think maybe this is exactly where God wants me. So I just pray to be faithful. And that's really hard sometimes, but that's been my prayer. I love it. There's a lot of us who find ourselves in a similar situation, right? Uh, we, somebody, we got a lot of teachers here work in the public school where they say, uh, you know, I can't bring religion into a public school, but unfortunately, we have a father in heaven who says, but this is exactly how I multiply disciples is when you open your mouth, right? Or we work for companies that say, well, you can't proselytize. You go, unfortunately, I work, I work for a Lord who encourages me to proselytize, encourages me to share my faith because it's the hope, the hope that doesn't put us to shame has a name and I have to tell people about it. Thank you for sharing, Jane. One last question, then we're going to wrap up with a short one. Brandon, um, question to you, same as for your wife. The greatest thing that you feel like is pulling you away uh, from the gospel or challenges you as a believer? 
Yeah, I think probably for me, it's, it's busyness. Mm. Um, I grew up in West Michigan, um, had great parents that taught me work hard at everything that you do. Um, so I have no problem getting up at 5 a.m. and working till 11 p.m. Um, and some of you are that way too, where we chase kids to athletics or we have 18 committees and boards that we sit on and, and you name it, you can fill it in. But I, I think the devil uses mm. busyness to drive us away, mm. um, it, where we consume our, our thoughts and our, our waking moments and our energy on things that aren't eternal. Um, and so for me, um, I, I do work in a school system. I have lots of meetings, get to work with lots of people. It's a joy of my life. Um, but it also makes me really, really busy. And I think the, the challenge for me is being very intentional in the time that I spend with the Lord. Mm. Um, and so I, for me, I think it's so important to set that time aside. That's non-negotiable. Mm. Um, non-negotiable time that you're, you're in scripture, that you're praying um, and that allows you to really understand the will of our Father. Mm. Um, but I, for me, I, I know that I can slip into that busyness, and, and you get home at, you know, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, or, you know, you're running from an event, and you want to sit down, and you want to just go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I think we all need to guard against busyness. Yeah, that's a good word. We like to say that too, right? When someone says, hey, how are you? Busy. Oh, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> right, we say it all the time, but there's uh, it's the Mary and Martha example, right? And it's it's remembering that as much as important it is for us to give of our financial resources, giving our time, investing. I wouldn't even say giving, investing our time in a relationship with Jesus always pays dividends. There's no crash in that market, right? It always pays dividends. Um, I want to wrap up with this, just in in one sentence. Share with our friends here. Um, your greatest prayer for the church. And I'll come start down here and we'll just go down the road. Uh, two sentences. Envelope push. Double and down, double and down. <clears throat> On behalf of the ministry that I get to lead, our college students, young adults, please don't give up on them. That's my prayer for you. That you would, on your hands and knees, fight for and contend for the souls of our young adults. Amen. Because they are under attack. And we serve a good and faithful God. Amen. That wants to heal and lead and care for them. Mm. That's a good word. Luke? Um, so there's no question there's a lot of growth going on in this church. And um, not only growth in numbers, but we see particularly recently with all the baptisms that it's not just people coming, it's that's life right. transformation, heart transformation taking place, and that's really encouraging to me. But I think um, my prayer is just always that, I don't, I don't really pray for numerical growth. It's not that I don't care about it, but I don't think, Christ promised he would build his church. That's right. right? Christ promised he would build his church. And so if he's pleased to build his church and to use this ministry is part of that, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we can manipulate it. Right. I don't think we can force it. Right. And I'm not interested in doing anything to superficially grow the number of people who come here if there's no actual spiritual growth going on in the hearts of the people. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible's clear. The role of the local church 
is to call people into greater conformity to likeness with Christ. Mm. We should be growing in maturity. Size, yes, should come, I think, if people are faithfully living out their, their life, their faith uh, in front of the culture. But to me, my prayer is always for greater depth, uh, greater maturation of the church. That's good. Thank you. Brandon? Yeah, I'd piggyback on what Luke said. My, my, my greatest prayer is that, that there's a personal relationship with Christ that's formed with everybody that walks through the doors here. Um, because without that, it's very easy to be swept away. Uh, so my prayer is that uh, the people of Chapel Point will have a deep, personal relationship with their Lord and Savior. I love it. Thank you. Jane, how about you? My prayer is that we would be people of the word. I think a lot about you know the popularity of like the WWJD bracelet, and I think how many how many of us wear that? What would Jesus do? And it's like we don't even know because we're not in the Word. It's like how can we know what to do? How can we discern next steps? How do we apply a biblical worldview if we don't know it? That's good. So I think just being literate. And being passionate about that, because that's the only way that we enter into that personal relationship with Christ is through his word. Rooted in prayer and the Bible. Yeah, it's good. Um, I want to read for you guys from Philippians chapter 3. I read it to start. I want to close with this, and then we're going to pray. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but there's one thing that I do. I forget what lies behind. I forget about trying to be righteous on my own. I forget about feeling alone. I forget about sometimes lacking the courage I want to have. I forget about that, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then I'll skip forward. Brothers, sisters, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. I pray that today you've had an example from these friends of what it means to be honest, vulnerable, humble, contrite, but joyful about what the Lord can do in your life. So I want to pray, and then thank you guys for being here with us today. Um, yeah. if, if something has stirred in you, and you need to take a next step, to confess a sin that you've been hiding, to figure out how do I hear from the Holy Spirit, to say, I've been a good person, moral person, but I do not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm begging you to stop and talk to one of these people, to stop in the prayer room, to grab a person with a green lanyard. We would love to walk that journey with you. That's what it means to be transformed followers and to do it together. Um, so I'm asking you to do that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, just an amazing time of hearing how you are at work. People look for miracles, Lord. They look for miracles. But I tell you what, as amazing as it is, God, that you parted the Red Sea and that you give the blind their sight and et cetera, et cetera, on and on, all these amazing miracles. Father, I truly believe it is no less miraculous to hear the story of a person who is destined for death and separation from God forever, to hear the story, the miraculous story of how they have been redeemed. May we give you praise and honor every time we hear that. Father, we love you, we trust you, and all glory belongs to you.